This podcast is brought to you by The Province. This is Seen and Heard with Province music writer Stuart Durden. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash away the rain. Black hole sun, won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Stood a rain. Hello and welcome again to Seen and Heard with me, Province Entertainment reporter Stuart Dirty. Today I am lucky enough to talk to someone who's been something of a regular fixture on the music scene here in Vancouver, but dating back in the day and now is back again, coming for another sold-out show at the Orpheum on Wednesday, September 30th. Uh, please welcome vocalist Chris Cornell. Hello, Chris. Hi, how are you? Good, man. Um, so, new record, new tour, you're back on the acoustic thing. It got me thinking about it, you know, when you started, did you ever do the busking with an acoustic guitar on the street, or was it always a band format for you at the beginning? Um, no, I, I, uh, I tended to do horrible blue-collar jobs like busting concrete and washing dishes and things like that um, for money, so that when I was playing music, I wouldn't have to do horrible cover songs, and and. I say that honestly, like I'm not actually making a joke. I, I remember uh, probably the third band that I was ever in. Uh, the guy who was the leader of it was a guitar player and a singer, and he had a really great voice, and he wrote some pretty cool songs. At the time, imaginative, different, and we would do these shows in bars where we were doing covers that we were essentially told to do by, the, by whoever booked the shows so that the drunks would be entertained, and I just thought this is bullshit. You know, and he needed to do it because that was how he um, he would bounce from couch to couch, and that's how he would like get a meal and buy cigarettes. And I and and I thought, you know, music's a little more important to me than that. I, I can do hard jobs and actually make a lot more money and subsidize writing music that I care about instead of playing. Uh, Sting covers and Billy Idol covers in the back of a Chinese restaurant. So I made that I made that distinction right away. Not to say that there's anything wrong with street busking. Um, I I also have a lot of friends that have started out that way and become really successful. And I think that it, you know you kind of grow a shell when you do that. And it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough way to come up. Um, but it definitely wasn't what I was interested in doing. I wanted to make records and have shows that were. Uh, you know that were these these amazing moments. Even if it was in a small club, I wanted to create something around it that made it an event. And 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 I wanted to approach recording, even if it was a four track in your living room, as something that you would you would use as an opportunity to create music that people would really listen to, and in in the same context of, and get the same reaction out of listening to any classic record and and that was sort of the approach is that both those things are possible if you just do that um fair enough and yeah. that was that was my goal okay so really then the, the 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 idea to just take this out and play acoustically on the road came came later on and, and in fact you you know we talked last time you were up here in vancouver playing again a sold out show at the orpheum um 
that time, of course, I think it was the songbook tour. Uh, this time you're coming out, you've got, you know, brand new record. Uh, Higher Truth is, is very much uh, kind of a, a different kind of record than songbook was. And, and you know, working with Brendan O'Brien, I, I didn't realize, but you guys have worked together in two other bands, right? Uh, yeah, he mixed Super Unknown and produced Audio Slave's third album, Revelations. So, first thing I hear when I listen to you know that the the first single is you know nearly forgot my broken heart is, is is you know you've got just it's this build this lush this it's it's like this orchestral pop um, kind of a song which uh, people might not instantly associate with with your brand if you will but um, you know is there just a is there a huge inner pop guy inside you that wants that wants to be freed. <laughs> I don't know. I think that it's, it's it, probably that's just a, a a little kid that listened to a lot of Beatles, um, and but but also I feel like there's a you know, there's this um, long arc to the notion of what pop music is from now, you know, all the way back to when I first heard pop music and what I thought it was. I think for me that there's. Uh, there's always been a conflict between um, the post-punk indie era of music and art for art's sake within the music, kind of avoiding structure, which can be amazing when it, when it is amazing, you know. Right. Um, but there's also always been this notion of, are you doing that because you can't actually get into the craft of writing a song mm. and successfully write an amazingly memorable, beautiful, hooky song. And the Rubik's Cube of it really is being able to try to do both simultaneously. And to me, that's always, uh, that's always the goal. And what happens is um, you often end up having to sacrifice one to achieve the other, and it's very difficult to do both at the same time. Um, where you win is you can have these these hooky sort of memorable infectious parts, whether it's lyrical or melodic, um, but you're able to approach it creating an illusion that there almost is no structure to it. And in endeavoring to do that, you can lose the part that is the 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 sort of hooky and infectious memorable side to it. Um, so. No matter how sort of high-handed I feel like I want to get when I sit down to write a song, I'm always at some point um, tempted to lean toward something that includes the craft of songwriting because it's an extremely challenging thing. You know, the notion that, for example, guys that sit around and or girls that sit around and write uh, songs and write pop songs for radio, and that those those are the guys that are that are doing the easy job. It's not. It's really fucking hard. <laughs> the easy job is you're known. You're, the easy job really is your radio head. You pick up a guitar. You do whatever the fuck you want with it. You you sing whatever the fuck you want to sing over it. Uh, it, does, it doesn't really have to have any sort of relationship to any period or to any song structure that's known. And you're done. It's absolutely valid because you're an artist and you've decided that it's valid and that's it. That's pretty fucking easy. Um, also, you're writing about you, so whatever's going on, it's you. <laughs> so it, it's, um, that's kind of the easiest version. The hardest version, which Radiohead is amazing at, is 
bringing those two worlds together where right. where you, you can't see them coming. You don't know where the music came from. It seems like this immediate and sort of perfect artistic expression that has no real beginning, middle, or end, uh, you know, that's just intuitive. And yet somehow these are beautiful, memorable pop songs. So when you take a that track... That was a long answer to your question. It was a very fine answer, and I think it pretty much put it in context, because I think you know, in some ways one could say that you know, you're exercising different muscles musically with, say, Soundgarden than you are when you're, on your, you know, when you're solo, because in one you might be you know, riding the riff and, and taking it further, and the other one you're focusing in on this thing. And, and do you find when you go out and do a solo acoustic tour, um, given how lush a lot of the production is on the new record that you're getting to the root of those songs. And in fact, in fact, finding those points that, as you say, are really the, the, you know, the true songwriting craft. Is that, is that, is that thrilling for you to be able to do that? Well, I think that there's less included in the craft. And, and, and so what you're really doing is revealing that the song actually works really well, taking out, uh, limbs, taking out components. It's just emphasizing different things, but those different things, uh, that previously had not been the emphasis um, are really entertaining and valid things. Um, that to me, that can go back to when Johnny Cash did a version of Rusty Cage, and I started getting phone messages about how great the lyrics were, and realizing that that was the first time I got those messages. I didn't get them when people were listening to the Soundgarden version. Um, and the reason why was because the first, because Johnny Cash sang them. So, you know, if you write a bunch of bad lyrics, get someone like Johnny Cash to sing them, and suddenly you'll be a genius. And the other thing is that uh, there was nothing going on musically. It wasn't something really that that the listener was going to care about getting into. It was the Tennessee Three Shuffle mm-hmm. with with Rusty Cage sung over it. So. Um, Everyone was familiar with what the music was, and they'd heard it before. They were so, therefore, they were listening to the lyrics and him singing it. And and two things happened. I think one of them is um, he transcended genres and musical eras in one fell swoop, um, and he shed light on on the actual lyrics. And I think he did the exact same thing, probably even better, when he did hurt. Um, by Trent Reznor. Yeah, know, Reznor such said an emotional that. song. And, and I thought that the original Nine Inch Nails version was incredibly emotional until I heard that one. Um, and then later on, I did the same thing with uh, a cover of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. where I'd initially done it. I was going to do an arrangement on acoustic as a joke because I was doing sort of four or five song acoustic sets in the middle of Audio Slaves uh, shows. I realized that once I got out there and I started, um, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. The band couldn't stop me. And so I started doing things that, would be, that I thought would be funny, you know, because they'd stand on the side of the stage and watch me, and I would sort of try to entertain them and, and play something where they would be, maybe they'd cringe and be thinking, God, I wish I wasn't doing that, but there's nothing I can do about it. And so, um, you know, I was thinking, you know, it'd be really funny to do something like, like a virgin or, or Billie Jean or something. So I went to work at Billie Jean, and I, I changed it to this three, four time signature and changed the key, I think, a little bit and added a chord and started singing it. Looked up the lyrics because I didn't know them. And what came out wasn't funny. It, it, 
it's this heavy song that's based on a true story that happened to the brother of Michael Jackson and it was beautifully poetically written and singing it in that stripped down context in the, in this three four sort of almost kind of gospely time signature she was more like a beauty queen from movie screen said don't mind but what do you mean I am the one who dance on the floor and around she said I am the one who dance on the floor and around she said her name was Billie Jean and she caused a scene and all her heads turned with eyes that dreamed of being the one who would dance on the floor and around It became very different, and I started performing it, and I got the same exact reaction uh, about the lyrics that happened with Rusty Cage, where people said, I, I feel like that's the first time I ever really bothered to listen to that song. And I think that there, that there is, in essence, kind of a novelty that is created when I do songbook shows. That right. These are songs that are familiar to everyone that's in the room, but they're now hearing it uh, in a completely stripped-down context. And one of the things that's immediately happening to them in their mind is that is, is they're realizing that this song kind of works on a lot of levels. And uh, this is sort of the journey that they're taking as each song unfolds. The difference between that and Higher Truth is that Higher Truth won't be that. It will almost be the opposite, in essence. Uh, it will be songs that they haven't heard before right. and that aren't uh, pared down arrangements from uh, a full rock band version. So to me, the experiment hasn't even happened yet. The experiment is going to happen when I'm out on stage trying to mix those two things and see if they live together on the stage um, harmoniously. Fair enough. Well, it'd be remiss not asking, what's up with Soundgarden? You guys going to do another album, do another tour, you think? Um, well, we just had a... Yeah, we're a band, and we just we just had a, a nice, long week and a half of songwriting, and things are going really well, and Very everybody's cool. having a really good time. It's been really fun. It's, this is a really great time to be Soundgarden. This is sort of the... This is sort of the... the, the period of being in Soundgarden that I think we were all kind of wanting to have happen, where where there isn't really any pressure on us to produce anything at any particular time or in any particular way. We're not a rock band that is competing in, in the album recording and releasing cycle of tons of other rock bands and competing for our 15 plays on MTV a day and we, right. we are who we are people know what that is and we do what we do and it's uh, now we in essence just kind of get to be Soundgarden and enjoy it without having to worry about anything else so it's been really fun I feel pretty lucky to Sweet. be at this stage in, in both my solo career and Soundgarden and whatever else I do for sure now lastly just because I have to be asked you and your wife have a charity and they'll be, you'll be raising some funds for that on this tour so how about telling us about that 
Well, the, it, it started years and years ago. We visited a place called Five Acres in Los Angeles County, and it's, a, it's sort of a, it's a big uh, orphanage, really, that was sort of a last stop for kids in the foster care system. And um, my wife got really involved in one year, and that started with, uh, you know, we ran in somewhere to a place that had a Christmas tree with gifts on it, and it was like, buy one and and sign it, and a child at this place called Five Acres will get it. Well, she bought the whole orphanage Christmas presents, and we went there and gave them to all of them, and we were so moved by the experience that we decided to to start a foundation at some point that benefits, you know, the world's most vulnerable children. And obviously not being able to to do that globally tomorrow, we started uh, in Seattle um, with a couple of different places, uh, one that actually takes uh, homeless teenagers off the street literally every night and puts them puts them in a safe environment to have a place to be, to eat and sleep and do activities. And they also have job programs and we donated to those. Uh, and then there's an, and then there's another place called Child Haven that is literally nursing and caring for drug addicted infants all the way up to uh, having programs that try to keep the core family together. Um, they all of this sort of research-based stuff, where the, supposedly the child is benefiting the most, um, and we've been trying to work in tandem with um, with other Seattle nonprofits that are doing much bigger things, you know, and that can afford to cast a much bigger net. Uh, but that's where it started, and and that's what our passion is. It, it, I don't think it was hard for us in terms of if we have the ability to give back, where is it going to be? And and uh, you know, vulnerable children was the, was the first thought for both of us, and that's where it is. Um, I think we're good. I think I got everything I, I wanted right there. And I, I really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Thank you. Take care. Every time I stare into the sun. Chris Cornell talking about uh, previewing his show at the Orpheum Wednesday, September 30th. But, you know, this week now we're going to get to the scene section of Scene and Heard. And I have to say, it's a busy week for shows. First up, got Tosin, Maryland. It's a suburb of Baltimore. Pop punkers, all-time low. They're going to be in town playing at the Vogue Theater Sunday, September 27th. Tickets at VogueTheater.com. And we're going to hear the song, Something's Gotta Give, taken from the album Future Hearts on Hopeless Records, which is the one the band is out touring right now. Stranger's bed With pins and needles in my head And the 
all-time low laying down the all-time classic pop punk sound that we all know so well and uh, you know this is an extremely radio-friendly record even from a band that has always been that sort of way oriented but uh, perhaps it's uh, the slickness might come from the work of production work of john feldman they worked with this time he's worked with such hard hitters as hillary duff and panic at the disco and you know that sort of falls right into the kind of sound that these guys are on pretty catchy pretty hooky sounds good on radio so there you go all-time low next up something a little different, a little more interesting in my books. Uh, Musette Explosion with the song A Recurring Dream. It's taken from Introducing. Uh, it's out on Aviary Records. And this trio is uh, accordionist Will Holschauser, guitarist banjo player Matt Munisteri, and the amazing Marcus Rojas on tuba. And they make up trio. They're all in demand instrumentalists in New York for all sorts of different gigs, but uh, this particular trio has a penchant for the music of Paris circa 1920 but seen through a downtown New York City lens that's quite contemporary. 
Um, the debut, it's a complete hoot, this album, for anybody who's into this sort of stuff. And they'll be at the K Meek Center in West Van. It's part of the K Meek Concert Series. And that's on Saturday, September 26th at 8 p.m. Tickets at kmeekcenter.com. And here we go with Musette Explosion and Recurring Dream.
say everything that happened before happens again, and uh, you can certainly say that Strange Wilds, um, who we're going to hear the song Starved For, uh, this is taken from Subjective Concepts, um, which is out on Sub Pop Records, and uh, let's just say that when this group rolls into the Biltmore Cabaret on Saturday, September 26th, you're going to hear a band that could have rolled in here on Saturday, September 26th, probably in the mid-90s. Um, You'll hear the early grunge, you'll hear the Northwest Punk, and a bunch of other Olympia sound all brought up together by this Olympia Washington trio. And Sub Pop's championing with good reason. It's a sound that's classic and the energy is undeniable. If the live show's up to snuff, I'd say we'll be hearing more from this crew. So here's Strange Wilds with Starved For. Last up of our gigs, we've got uh, Alicia Hansen and Ben Brown, uh, the song called The Council, which is taken from their album uh, out together called uh, Companion, which is available at alishahansenmusic.com. They're playing the Pyatt Hall, that lovely new venue at 843 Seymour Street on Thursday, September 24th. And this is a follow-up to Hansen's really quite lovely 2011 album, Fractography. Um, 
She's a Vancouver-based pianist singer uh, who's got a really unique songwriting style. And of course, she's hooked up with drummer Ben Brown, who's the drummer from Pugs and Crows, the Juno Award-winning group that's just so spectacularly good um, in their sort of folk, instrumental jazz, whatever you want to call it um, thing. Ben's just back fresh off a European solo tour where he's been studying drums with people like the uh, <clears throat> amazing Dave... Evelyn Glennie for Dame at Evelyn Glennie, pardon me, something caught in my throat there. But uh, yeah, this is a really neat, uh, it's a neat song, neat album, kind of like modern jazz or chanson, but uh, here you go, The Council. Now to the herd section of seen and heard. 
two tracks this week, two artists, very different. First one up is Dave Monk's song called Rules, which is taken from his All Signs Point to Yes out on Dine Alone Records. And if you don't recognize the name Dave Monk, you certainly recognize the band he's a member of, which is Tokyo Police Club. He's basically the band leader. And this is his first, uh, he released his first EP in August, and now the video is out for the lead single um, for the song Rules. And uh, like his better known band, it's, it's, it's very similar to Tokyo Police Club. This is a bit more of an acoustic strummy feel, maybe a little bit less angular rock, but still very much, uh, I think, something that fans of Tokyo Police Club would like. So without further ado, here's Dave Monks with Rules. Listen, Michelle, you may never come back But why do you care? You're a beautiful girl And everyone seems to have found their sweetheart Well, I know you're starting to think When everyone acts like they're on our postcard Why is it your heart that has to sing? Well, I don't make the rules I just play along And I can't break the rules Oh She had And everyone's carving their name on a sidewalk Well, I know you're feeling an When everyone's words are nothing but sweet talk Why is it your heart that has to break? Well, I don't make the rules I just play along can't break through I just sing my song to the beat of the drum I don't know where it's coming from but I know how the rhythm goes yeah I know how the rhythm goes Don't make the rules I just play along And you can't break the rules Well, I don't make the rules I just play along And you can't break the rules But it won't May never come back But why do you care You're a beautiful girl Finally we've got uh, Code de Pirat from Quebec a song called Ocean's Brawls Ocean's Brawl taken from Roses Which is the um, 
latest from this Quebec singer-songwriter, Beatrice Martin, who records uh, under the name Coda Pirat. She's, um, you know, she keeps reaching out to the rest of, say, say English Canada with the latest record. She, she went top, French top ten with her first record and subsequently stuck around there. And she just keeps producing more and more engaging pop albums. Um, I personally sort of liked it when she was a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more kind of casual. Uh, this is very slick now, but it's also a type of pop that's incredibly in vogue. And uh, and she certainly has a knack for the lush arrangements that are very popular at the moment. And uh, and, and her new record is it's a really solid record. If you like the sort of thing, I think uh, well worth checking out. Brought a knife to hell and saw what was left down there and more. Hide and seek for far too long Get my treasures with my bones Lift for lies, lift for tales Lift for good and hit the rails Love you, boy, with what I know Hit that love with my bones
Once again, this has been Seen and Heard with Stuart Dernay. And uh, for this and any other Province podcast, go to theprovincepodcast.com, and I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Seen and Heard with Province music writer Stuart Dernay. Catch Stuart in the Province newspaper or online at theprovince.com. Thank you.